right, children's ministry. Kids, going with uh, Fernanda. Donuts? 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 Do you have donuts today? Yeah, there's going to be a lot. All right, there's goodies. So, how many people here growing up had an idol? Think about it for a minute. An idol. When you were growing up, was there anybody that you looked up to? Raise your hand. Anybody have an idol? All right, lots of people. Lots of people. Mac, you want to tell me who your idol was? His name was Dean Maitland. He was just a guy I wanted to be like when I grew up. And, and uh, he died at 94 just a few years ago. And I got to go back and say to his family during his memorial funeral service that, uh, hey, your, your dad was my hero. He was my idol. I wanted yeah. to just like go off church. All right. Nice. Yeah, you know, anybody else? Anybody else want to share? Want to share? Ellie? Ellie, the Beatles, all right. A girl after my own heart. All right, all right, anybody else? Karen? I just think it's ironic, Mac. Mine was Keith Richards. I wish I had had Keith more, Richards. Of, a, more oh. of a little bit more godly perspective back then. These, these, these are not plants here. <laughs> but I, I can tell you, I can tell you that, uh, you know, growing up, I, I love, love, love music. I do. I can't carry a tune in a bucket with a padlock. I can't sing. If you've been next to me in church, then you know that. Uh, but you know, growing up, that, that was what, those, those are the people that I really, really admire. I'm a Who fan, right? Nice. I've been a Who fan since I can remember. And Roger Daltrey and Pete Townsend, you know, I mean, I, I had every book they ever wrote. I had everything that, you know, every piece of music that they ever wrote. Uh, it, I just, I, I, I loved them, I loved them. Then I got to college. And in college, I found a group called The Doors. <laughs> so Jim Morrison became my idol, right? I, 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 I bought a, a white shirt, a white flowing shirt like he used to wear, grew my hair out, you know? And, and you know, the problem, the problem here is that when we're, when we're following man, man will always disappoint, you know? And if, if you know the story of, of Jim Morrison, then, then you know that Certainly, um, I, I, don't, I don't know if he was in Christ. I, I, I guess I can't say. Um, I suspect not. But you know, the, the lifestyle that he led was not one that was indicative of, of the fruit of the Spirit. And, and mine certainly wasn't then either. Um, so as I matured, as I, uh, as I, as I became uh, a little bit more sophisticated, when I was in my 30s, I became a huge Pink Floyd fan. Yes. <laughs> so I'm moving up the hierarchy. And Roger Waters became my guy, right? So, you know, Roger Waters, that flowing hair, and, you know, he's very charismatic and, you know, rocks the bass and all that. And, uh, and you know, so I'm in my 30s, and I grew up my hair again because, you know, I wanted to look like Roger Waters, and I wanted to, you know. And, and again, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you this because, uh, you know, it, it, I, was, I was following the wrong Thing. I wasn't saved. I wasn't saved. When I became saved, when I got saved, when I, when I claimed Jesus as my Lord and Savior, my life changed. Your life changes, right? It changes irrevocably. You, you, you can't go back to who you were before, right? And so when I, after I was saved, I started to, I started to read the Bible. I had, uh, I had the, the Life Application Bible. Um, I read that thing cover to cover, 
Uh, real quick, I'm reading a verse one morning with, uh, in a book with my wife. It said, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And my wife said, Philippians 4.13. And I said, what's that? I had never opened a Bible. And she said, it's Philippians 4.13. I said, show me. And she pulled out her Bible, and I looked at that thing, and I was, that was, I was done. I went downstairs, got on my knees. I, I, I fired up a sermon by Greg Laurie on, uh, on, on YouTube, and, and I gave my life to Christ. And, and that was it. Um, now, I read that Bible in two months, cover to cover. Did I get everything out of it? Of course not. But while I was doing that, God put it on my heart to, to start reading other things. So I started reading Christian apologetics. I fell in love with C.S. Lewis. Absolutely fell in love with C.S. Lewis. I read everything that man has ever written. I read stuff that you probably haven't even heard of. And guess what I started to do? I started to put C.S. Lewis on a pedestal, right? I started to lose sight of the fact that C.S. Lewis points us to Christ. So I'm continuing on in my walk, right? We call that sanctification. And, you know, I'm reading church history and I'm falling in love with Augustine and Calvin and Luther. And I'm doing the same thing. Hey, have you guys read Luther? Hey, have you seen this? Do you know what John Calvin said? Do you know what Augustine said? And I'm, I'm losing sight, right? I'm losing my focus. I'm not pointing to Jesus. Someone brought that to my attention. Sometimes I still forget it, right? We get enamored. It's human nature. We get enamored, right? We're, we, we live by faith, right? We live by, we live by faith, not by sight. But that's difficult to do because we're here on this earth. Um, so, you know, what, what I want you to take out of that is that those are wonderful men. The latter half, and maybe the first half too, I don't know. But the latter half, you know, C.S. Lewis, Augustine, Calvin, Luther. Uh, I started, I, I, I love listening to John Piper. Oh man, you know, I mean, I, I think I've listened to every sermon he's ever preached. Uh, you know, these are wonderful, wonderful godly men. But if they knew that I for a moment looked up to them, they, they would not be happy, right? They would all say to a man, they would say, point to Christ. We point to Christ. We are mere signposts that point to Christ. Why am I talking about this today? I'm talking about this today because in the next section of Acts, we're going to see that. Not that. Paul tells us in Romans that we are to worship the creator, not the created. Last week, Pastor Eddie, uh, in, in the, in the, in the first section of chapter 14 of, of Acts, uh, his, his sermon outline um, was uh, some follow, some fight, but we have to do what's right, right? So we have Paul and Barnabas, and they're preaching the gospel in Iconium, and they're, you know, some are following, some are rebelling, some are resisting the gospel message, and, and other, you know, through it all, Paul and Barnabas know that they are called to preach the gospel. That's what they do. It's what they have to do. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. That's Paul. And as they do it, right, God is working in their lives. And God sometimes does things to affect a change, to move his gospel so that his gospel is preached in other places. And what God did was he allowed them to be persecuted. He allowed them to be, you know, they, they were going to be stoned if they stayed in Iconium. So they ended up moving on to, uh, they went to um, Derby and, and Lystra. So we're gonna, what we're going to do today is we're going to pick up in Acts chapter 14, verses 8 through 18, and we're going to look and we're going to see how the Holy Spirit moved through them in these verses. 
Something that I think is really, um, it, it bears repeating, is that this book that we're in is called the Acts of the Apostles, right? But we, you know, what it really could be called is the movement of the Holy Spirit through the early church, because that's what we're seeing here. We're seeing the Holy Spirit affect a change, proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Who does the Holy Spirit point to? Jesus. Yeah, the Holy Spirit points to Jesus. The Holy Spirit that lives in you gives you discernment. It helps you to read the scriptures and understand them. And he points you to Jesus. That is what he does. So I already kind of gave you the, uh, the, the, our, our, our driftwood aerobics, right? The first one is God owns the miracles. Everybody, fingers up in the air. God owns the miracles. They don't belong to anybody else. They don't. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about that and talk about it again, talk about it again. And then we're going to see how that applies to our lives. But first, verse 8. Now at Lystra, or Lystra, I don't know how that's pronounced. Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. I think, by the way, that, that that's super important to understand. Every, every, every jot and tittle in scripture is important. He was crippled from birth and had never walked, right? He didn't have, a, he didn't have some sort of an accident. He didn't fall off his horse. He was crippled from birth. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him, seeing that he had faith to be made well. Wait a minute, how did he have faith? Well, maybe, maybe, probably not yet, but the Holy Spirit is working through these apostles. Yes, yes, Ellie. He's working through these apostles to proclaim his gospel. So Paul and Barnabas are in Lystra, right? They are in what we would consider to be uh, a backward hick area, right? It's, it's this, there, there are no sophisticates here. Uh, but they had been preaching the gospel, and presumably this, this man who, who had been lame from birth had heard it. He had heard it. And perhaps, yes, at this point, he did have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit gave him the faith, the faith that he needed to believe the gospel that he had heard preaching. <coughs> it been preached. Said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. So this is Paul. This is Paul saying to this man, stand upright on your feet. He's looking at him. He's looking at him. He knows he has faith. And he's saying, I know God can do this. Stand upright on your feet. And the man sprang up and he began walking. That's a miracle, right? That, that, is a, that is a healing miracle. That is a phenomenal healing miracle. I want to go back for a second to John chapter 9. In John chapter 9, we have the, the story of, of the blind man, the man who had been blind since birth, right? And so the apostles say, Rabbi, why was this man? What sin did this man commit that he was afflicted with, with blindness from birth. Or, or what sin did his parents commit? And what did Jesus say? They, they, they didn't sin. It was for this moment. Yeah. He it was for this moment so that God's glory could be revealed. And this is exactly what we see here. So what is, what is a miracle? A miracle is God reaching down into his creation to turn our heads so that we look not at what is around us, but to him, 
to him, knowing that only he could possibly be responsible for whatever it is that we're seeing, right? God, with his, with, through his miracles, he is, he's, demonstrating, he's demonstrating his love, and he's demonstrating his glory. And that's, that's what we're seeing here. God uses miracles for his redemptive purposes. We're going to stick mainly to healing miracles here, but all miracles belong to God. God uses miracles for his redemptive purposes. We go back to the Old Testament, and did God, God liberated the, the, the Israelites from Egypt, right? Did they, did they ever need new shoes? What happened? For 40 years, they had the same shoes. That's a miracle, right? For 40 years, they were fed. They were fed manna from heaven. That's a miracle, right? And a miracle that everybody knows. The parting of the Red Sea, right? That's a miracle. This is God reaching down into his creation to demonstrate to others that they ought not be looking around, but they should be looking to him. He's demonstrating his love for his people. He's demonstrating his glory, something that only he could do. And he's doing it for his redemptive purposes. So when we move into the New Testament, we see kind of the definition of what a miracle is. I told you I love C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis has a book. The book is called Miracles. And in it, he talks about the conception of Christ, right? Jesus Christ. Jesus is the man. Christ is the anointed one. Jesus is 100% man. Christ is 100% God. We have 100% man and 100% God. But the miracle that God effected so that he could send his only son into creation to die for your sins was that he go through the exact same motions that everyone in this room, everyone who has ever been born, has gone through. Right? There is only one small difference. One small difference. Instead of using a man... He used the Holy Spirit. He used the Holy Spirit to inseminate that egg. That's it. Everything else was the same. Everything. Once that egg was inseminated, the egg went through all the same processes that God had ordained when he created man. All the same processes. He went through the birth canal. He, he, was, a, he was an infant. He was nursed at his mother's breasts, we read in scripture. We read that he, he, he grew. We don't know a whole lot about his childhood up until about 12 years old. Uh, and then we, we find him teaching in the temple. Uh, and then we don't hear anything from him until he's 30. But that is a miracle. We know that's a miracle because his father was the father, the Holy Spirit. That's the difference. And then the miracle of all miracles, the miracle that is the reason why we are all saved, the miracle, the reason why we're here today, the reason why your home isn't here and your home is in heaven, the resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. God raised his son from the dead. Three days dead. Three days dead. He raised his son from the dead by the power of his Holy Spirit. These are the miracles that, that he used. All throughout the New Testament, we read about signs and miracles. Signs and miracles. The signs. The signs are Jesus fulfilling prophecy. That's what he's doing through the healing miracles. That's what he's doing through all the miracles that we see in the New Testament, even after Jesus is, is, has, has risen and is, is at the right hand of the Father. These are all signs that 
prophecy. Everything that we read in the Old Testament, every single prophecy, just about has come true by this, by this point. And if we know that those have come true, then we know that the prophecies that we have in Revelation, in Daniel, in Ezekiel, all these wonderful prophecies about a new heaven and a new earth, we know that those will come to fruition. We see it, we know, because of these wonderful miracles that he's provided for us. So for, for us, for us here, I, you know, I, 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 can't, I can't begin to emphasize. Last week, Pastor Eddie asked me to preach this sermon. And my first thought was, Lord, show me within the church that you have performed miracles in the people here. Show me. I didn't say anything to anybody. And no one knew it was coming up. And when I got here last Sunday, I was inundated by people, inundated by people who shared their testimony, things that only God could get blamed for. I mean, it's just truly remarkable. Heath, Heath, Heath shouldn't be here right now. Heath was 37 pounds at eight years old. He had a, a debilitating kidney disease. He, he, he wasn't supposed to live. Leslie, Leslie and Roger aren't here today. Uh, I don't know if you know their story, but you know, Leslie, Leslie is battling cancer right now. A couple weeks ago, uh, the doctor said to, said to Leslie, they said to Roger that Leslie has a, she has a bleed. They went in and they, and they performed emergency surgery on a Sunday night and they were unsuccessful in getting the bleed. And so they went to Roger, the doctor went to Roger and, and said, Roger, we're gonna try again tomorrow night. And, and if, we can't, if we can't get this bleed, she's gonna bleed out, she's gonna die. The next day they went in to perform the surgery. There was no bleed. There was not a stitch applied. Leslie was given more time with Roger. Leslie was given more time with us. That's a miracle. God owns the miracles. No one else can get the blame for that. No one. No one can get the blame for that. Mike. Mike is brand new to this church, and you might have seen him come over to me. He had a fantastic suggestion. He suggested that I ask you guys to raise your hands if you have seen God working a healing miracle in your life. So raise your hands if you've seen, whoa. For those of you on Facebook who can't see this, nearly every hand went up. <laughs> nearly every hand. That's God. And what I want to talk about today, what the Spirit has put on my heart to preach, I've been busting all week long with this message, is I want everyone to understand that God owns those miracles. And we need to give Him the credit for those miracles. They are His and His alone. So we want to give Him the credit. Only God can get the credit. Verse 11, and when the crowd saw that what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices saying in Lycanian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. That's an interesting statement right there, right? Remember, I said Paul and Barnabas, they are preaching right now in a podunk backwoods area. It's, it's, these people have never heard the gospel before. They have never heard the message of who Jesus Christ is. They have probably barely ever seen any people outside of their village. 
So to have Paul and Barnabas come in was, was, was something so, so different for them. And they were, so they, they raised up their voice. They saw this miracle, and they raised up their voices saying, in Lycanian. That's important. Why did the Holy Spirit write that through Luke in here? I think the reason is that he wanted us to know that because they were speaking in Lycanian, do you suppose that Paul and Barnabas spoke Lycanian? No. They didn't speak Lycanian. They spoke Greek. Greek was the lingua franca. Greek was the language that everybody spoke, the common communication, for common communication so that everybody in that area in the Mediterranean would understand what, you know, what, 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 what they were saying, even though they came from disparate cultures. So they were saying this in Lycanian. The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. So Paul and Barnabas, they don't know what's going on. They have no idea that this heresy is occurring before them. Barnabas, they called Zeus, and Paul, Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. So Zeus and, uh, and Hermes are Greek gods, right? We'll find out who they are in a moment. Uh, but And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance of the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. I'm going to go back to that verse here, verse 12. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. There was a... There was a there was a, a Roman poet. He died in 17. Not 2017. Not 1917. He died in 0017. Right? And he recorded this legend of this, of, of the Greek, of, of, of the Roman gods, right? He was a Roman poet, of the Roman gods, um, Jupiter and Mercury, right? Those are the analogs to Zeus and Hermes in Greek. He recorded a legend of, of, of Jupiter and Mercury coming down to Earth taking on the form of men and going into the household of an elderly couple. They made them priests. They made their house a temple. And anyone who tried to thwart them, anyone who wouldn't listen to their message, they destroyed. And so naturally, naturally, these Lycanians did what we all do, did what I did with Roger Waters and with C.S. Lewis. They looked and they saw, they saw these men and they wanted them to be the embodiment of, of, of God, right? In this, I saw a man perform a miracle. I saw a man perform a miracle. Did they? No. Did they see a man perform a miracle? No. And we're going to get to that. But they think they did. They think they did. And they're making a mistake here that is made today. And that, I believe, is why the Holy Spirit wants us to hear this story. Give them the gospel. We're going to see something in a minute with Paul and Barnabas. But before we do, Paul and Barnabas are apostles, right? You've heard of the 12 apostles, right? Those are the ones called out by Jesus. There were, there were other apostles in the first century. Paul was an apostle. He wasn't part of the 12. Barnabas is, is, is called out as an apostle here. He was sent. He might even have been sent by Jesus. Some say he may even have been one of the 70, right? Whatever that be, they knew Christ. And they knew that he was responsible for the miracle. And I think that they were absolutely, utterly appalled that someone else would, A, give credit where credit wasn't due. That someone else would give credit to, 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 to them for God's miracle. They didn't want someone else taking credit for God's miracle, much less them. Can you imagine what they must have felt? 
I am, I am what you call a, a bivocational pastor. That means I have two jobs. In the daytime, I am a software engineer. And at night, I am a crime-fighting superhero. Yes. <laughs> I'm also a pastor. I was ordained. Um, you know, I, I love Jesus. I, I, I believe that he has given me a gift to, to work outside of the church. Furthermore, all of us are bivocational pastors here. All of us. Zane is a bivocational pastor. He works in the heating and cooling industry. Uh, JJ is a bivocational pastor. He works for uh, MFI. You know? Pastor Eddie is a bivocational pastor. He supports himself with, with his paddleboarding company. Uh, we, all, we all do this. My point here, though, is that I'm a software engineer. I've been a software engineer for many decades. And as I have, as I have done my, my, my thing through the years, as I have, uh, I'm, I'm responsible for, for coding, I'm responsible for, for writing software, I'm responsible for architecting solutions for people, right? I've done this for a long time with a number of different companies. And every now and again, every now and again, by the grace of God, I, I am given something, something that perhaps other men haven't ever discovered yet, right? We don't invent anything, by the way. We just discover things. Every now and again, I have been blessed by the, the ability to do that. And, and when we do that in my industry, what we do is we file what's called a patent. We file a patent with the United States Patent Bureau. And it's a long, drawn-out process. It's obviously a long process uh, to, to, to come up with the idea, to come up with a proof of concept, to make sure that that idea works, to make sure that it's accepted amongst the community, to make sure that it actually fits the bill, that it's a solution that can be used. They're not going to patent just any old anything. They're gonna only, they only want to patent something that is truly useful. And like I said, I, I, I've done this throughout my career. It's, it's a very difficult, it's, 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 I won't kid you, it's a very painful process. A number of years ago, uh, I, 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 I did such a thing. I, I came up with something, a, a novel idea, um, a, a great idea that, that no one else in my company had come up with, that no one else in the industry had come up with, that no one else in the entirety of the world had ever come up with. It was, it was something that God gave to me, though I didn't know it then, by the way. I was not saved. We call that common grace when God bestows gifts upon us and we are not saved. Uh, so by common grace, I spent a year on this project. I coded it. It was, um, it was somewhere north of two million lines of code when all was said and done. Two million lines of code. And it worked flawlessly, absolutely beautifully. It was vetted throughout the company. Uh, and I was ready to patent this baby. So I'm walking by the, the patent wall. And I look up. What's on the patent wall? My idea. Someone took my idea. They didn't just take it. They took all the code. They took all the credit. They took all of the money that was associated with procure with, with, with you know, getting the patent. There's getting the patent, and then it's, it's, you've, you've seen the little uh, patent pending thing. Patents go through a pending process for years. Um, he took it. He took it. Obviously, I knew who it was, and that was a that was that was a struggle. I'm over it now. <laughs> what does Matthew six fourteen say we're supposed to do? 
That's just a silly patent here on this earth, right? Someone took my idea, big deal. Um, it is a big deal, right? We don't want, God doesn't want his patent stolen. He doesn't want his patent stolen. He doesn't want anyone else taking credit for these wonderful miracles that he does for our benefit. He reaches into our lives. He turns us from pointing to the earth and look at him. He does this for his love, because of his love for us and because he wants to demonstrate his glory. He wants to demonstrate his redemptive purpose on this earth. Now imagine you're the guy that stole my patent. Did he suffer any consequences? You know what I did? I didn't do anything. I let it go. I let it go. Ish. <laughs> Imagine the person, though, who takes credit for God's healing miracles. Oh, and they exist. We're going to get into it. People who take credit for God's healing miracles. Look at what they've done. They have stolen God's glory. They have hijacked God's love. They have prevented people from looking to Christ, rather, to look at them. Ugh. Think about what they've done. And more importantly, maybe even most importantly, they have attempted to pervert the course of redemptive history. Oh, I wouldn't want to be that person. I wonder if they exist today. Hmm. So as we get into this here, verse 14. But when the apostles Paul and Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We are also, we, we are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news. Good news? That sounds familiar, doesn't it? That you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. I want to focus for just a moment on a couple things in here. Uh, we are men of like nature with you. Remember how I said these guys were apostles? Mm. They're, they're preaching during the apostolic age. These guys are apostles, right? These guys are sent out by Christ. Do you think that they thought that they were any better than you guys? Absolutely not. The ground at the foot of the cross is level. You are all saints. I am a saint. I am no better than you. You are no better than anyone around you. As saints, we are followers of Jesus Christ. That is who we are. And we are also given one job, and one job only, right? The Great Commission. We are given the job of proclaiming the gospel to people who are not saints yet, so that they might hear that message. And if you don't think that's important, you probably all know the Great Commission, right? Matthew 28, 18 through 20. All power in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded, and lo, I am with you to the end of the age. Probably heard that if you're a Christian, right? That's in all four Gospels, you know. It's not just there. If you look in Mark chapter 16, a version of it is there. If you look in John chapter 20, a version is there. If you look in Luke chapter 22, a version is there. And the last recorded words of Jesus in Acts 1, chapter 1, verse 8, he says virtually the same thing. This is what we're supposed to do. We are all standing on level ground. 
We are all saints. And we bring you good news. Good news. That word right there, euangelion, it's the same word that is used all throughout the New Testament to describe that gospel. We bring you good news. But wait a minute, that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without a witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Does that sound like the gospel? Does that sound like God sent his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life? Doesn't sound like that at all, does it? That, that is the gospel that Paul brilliantly taught in a number of places in the New Testament. He taught it here in Acts chapter 14. He taught it to these pagan people. He taught virtually the same message to the sophisticates. The sophisticates on Mars Hill in Acts chapter 17, which is coming up. In Romans chapter 1, we read that the people are without excuse for understanding who God is because they can see God in creation. They can see all of the wonderful things that he has done. They are without excuse. It's the same message. In Revelation chapter 14, verse 7, I don't have it memorized, but um, it says virtually the same thing. It's, the, it's what's called the eternal gospel. So this is the angel at the end, the end in the eschaton, who is calling out to people to say, look, repent. You know, you know there is a God. You know who he is. Look around. Why? Why was the gospel presented this way? Why was it presented this way here? Why was it presented that way to the sophisticates in Acts chapter 17 on Mars Hill? Why was it presented that way in the end of time? In the end of time, after the rapture, the church is gone. There's a good reason for it. Paul and the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit through Paul, brilliant evangelist. How are you supposed to proclaim who Jesus Christ is to someone who doesn't know anything at all about the Bible? To someone who has no idea who Jesus is, what is the common ground that we all stand on? I just saw a dolphin jump out of the water. That's God. That's the common ground that we all stand on. And that's what he's doing here. He's saying, look, look around you. Look at this creation. This is amazing. This is marvelous. This could only have been done by God. And I know who that guy is. In Acts chapter 17, when he's talking to the, the sophisticated, the, the, the philosophers, right? These are, these, are, uh, these are not sophisticated people that he's talking to here. When he's talking to the sophisticated people in Acts chapter 17, he does something. He takes a little bit further. In Acts chapter 17, he presents the gospel in the same manner, but then he bridges the gospel to Jesus Christ. And he tells them who Christ is. He tells them what Christ did for them. See, that's what we have to learn to do. We have to learn to go from talking about the New England Patriots. Everybody loves the Patriots, right? <laughs> to talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. How do you do that? We're going to get into that in a little while. The important thing to note here, though, is that whether Paul was talking to, uh, to, to these sort of backward people 
or whether he was talking to the sophisticated Greek philosophers of whom we still have their writings today, or whether the angel is preaching a gospel to people who have not yet accepted Christ as their savior, who don't even know who he is, but will perish if they do not turn to the living God and repent. It's all the same message, but it's different people. But it's the same message, but it's different people. What does that tell you? It doesn't matter if you're talking to the CEO of your company or if you're talking to the janitor. It's the same message of salvation because we all are at the same level. At the foot of the cross, the ground is level. And verse 18, even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but, you know, how many of you have shared the gospel? Every time you share the gospel, do people jump up and say, I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and I'm done, Woo! <laughs> Almost never, right? Almost never. The gospel is shared on average, like, I think it's like 7.38 times or something silly like that. Someone actually did the math. I don't know how. Uh, but, you know, the, the gospel message has to be heard a number of times, sometimes, in order for it to be assimilated, in order for people to understand, in order for God to work that miracle within you, to give you the faith and the desire to understand who he is, to know that gospel message. So here, these people, some of them, they still want to worship Paul and Barnabas. They don't want to have any part of this other thing. They, they want this. And, and that's, I think that, that's what we kind of need to take out of this, is that our job is to be obedient. Our job is to preach the gospel, not to expect a response. This is scriptural too, right? Paul tells us in, in his first letter to the Corinthians, in chapter 3, he says, he, says, he, says, he says, I, Paul, I, Paul, planted, Apollos watered, but the increase belongs to the Lord. And it's not you. Don't worry about it. When you preach the gospel to someone and, and they walk away from you, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. You know, you've got a heart for the lost. I do. As Christians, we do. But it's God who ultimately will claim them if he wants them. All right. I want to do one more thing first. In the story that we just read, we saw the apostles. Uh, we saw the apostles, Paul and Barnabas. We saw what they did. This is so important that the Holy Spirit gave it to us twice. So if you read Acts chapter three, the first the first say twelve chapters of Acts are all about the ministry of Peter and John to the Jews, and then the remaining chapters are the ministry of Paul and some others to the Gentiles, right? So if you look at that very first part of Acts, we see the story nearly duplicated. I'm not going to read the whole thing. That it's, the title in the ESV says, starting in chapter 3, verse 1, the lame beggar healed. They do the same thing. They come upon a man. He's lame. He's lame from birth. And Peter says, he sees his faith, and he says, get up and walk. 
And the people around him do the same thing that they did to Paul and Barnabas. The people around him, they want to venerate, they want to venerate Peter and John, the apostles Peter and John. And so what Peter says is, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servants. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of y'all. If the Apostle Peter, if the Apostle John, if the Apostle Paul and Barnabas weren't taking credit for these miracles, should, should people, should we? So now you might be saying to yourself, why does this matter to me? I don't, I don't know anyone who has turned someone else into a, a Greek god. Yes, you do. Oh, yes, you do. Do you guys know anyone who worships saints? Mm. So we're going to keep this to healing for now. Um, Saint Raphael. Rapha is the Hebrew word for, for healing. Saint Raphael, the patron saint of healing, right? So when certain people want someone healed, they pray, they pray to this saint, Saint Raphael. Do you think God really needs someone to make intercession for him in order to affect a miracle? No. As a matter of fact, in Exodus 15, 26, he says, I am the Lord, your healer. Your healer, Rapha. <laughs> Exodus 15, 26. God doesn't need any help. He certainly doesn't need the help of, of saints. Doesn't need it. What about faith healers? Faith healers usually operate under this name it and claim it theology, right? This name it and claim it theology is a false gospel. It's built upon what we call retribution theology. You see it in Job. Retribution theology says that if I do good, I will get good. If I do bad, I will get bad. I got news for you. You know when you stop sinning? When you die. So let's hope that that theology is not accurate. But based upon this theology, right, these same people, they say that God doesn't want us to be ill. God doesn't want us to be sick. Is that true? It completely, completely disregards the fall of man. It completely disregards the sovereignty of God. It completely disregards God's salvific plan. When Paul was afflicted by something, he was afflicted by something, we don't know what it was, maybe it was, maybe it was some sort of a speech impediment, which would have been brutal for someone like him, because he, you know, he's, he's, he's preaching the gospel. Uh, maybe it was epilepsy, some people surmise that it was epilepsy, we don't know. What we do know is that Paul went before the Lord three times and he said, Lord, please remove this, this, this from me, heal me. What did God say? What did Jesus say? My grace is sufficient for you. Yeah. I think that for someone to say that God doesn't want us to be hurting is, is, 
is, is, is certainly not biblical, right? He uses, he uses these things to shape us. He does. So these same people, these same people who are part of this faith healing, uh, I'll call it a ministry, but it's not a ministry. These same people, they, 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 they call themselves healers, right? They call themselves healers. They declare that something be removed from you by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then you know what they do? Sometimes it doesn't work. You know, the gift of healing is in Scripture. The gift of healing is one of the spiritual gifts. I personally don't believe that it has been in the church for millennia. And the reason why I say that is that if someone genuinely had the gift of healing, they ought to be down at Children's Hospital in the oncology unit healing kids of cancer every breathing moment of their lives. Successfully, I might add. And have you ever seen that? I've never seen that. I've never seen that. Now, furthermore, this false gospel, when they say that they have healed someone or attempted to heal someone, and that someone, perhaps it was blindness, and they weren't healed, you know what they say? Yeah, they say, you don't have the faith. They put it on the person who has whatever it is, you know, blindness or, or, or what have you. They put it on them. They say that they don't have the faith, therefore the problem lies with you. Or worse, someone said it. You have some secret sin. Obviously, you have some secret sin, and that's why you weren't healed. Straight out of the pit of hell. So what do we do? <clears throat> we give them the gospel. They don't understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't get mad at them. Don't get mad at the people who follow them. Give them the gospel and let God take care of it. What about, what about evolutionists? There are plenty, anybody know anyone here who believes that the, the, the universe is 14 billion years old and this planet, go ahead, raise your hands. This planet is, is 4 billion years old and, and, and man evolved out of some you know, protoplasmic soup yes. that we are all just a happy accident. What a wonderful way to start life, huh? As a kid, this is what we teach in schools. This is what is taught in schools. In schools, we teach you are an accident. You are an accident. Enjoy the rest of your life. So therefore, any healing miracles, any, anything that we see, well, <coughs> science can explain that, you know? I mean, obviously, right? It's science. Maybe we don't understand the science quite yet, but obviously we got here. And so, and so you know, science must, must offer us some sort of an explanation um, for this. What do we do? Give them the gospel. Why? Who owns the miracles? God owns the miracles. Give him the credit and give them the gospel. What about, you know, we just, we recently went to Haiti. What's prevalent in Haiti, JJ? Among what? Everything? Yeah. People are hungry. There's, there's what? a lack of knowledge of the gospel and what God can do in their life. Because of the V word, right? Yeah. Voodoo, right? Sure. Voodoo. We, you know, voodoo started, I think, in West Africa. Um, it, it made its way to, to Haiti, you know, and, and if you don't think it affects you because you haven't been to a trip to, to Haiti, Driftwood has a church plant in Miami. Guess what? 
Lots of voodoo there. Lots of divination. Lots of sorcery. Lots of healing. Healing. And, and what, what those who subscribe to, uh, to, to voodooism or, or, or Santeria, um, they have spirits, right? And so they, 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 they invoke the power of these healing spirits to heal people. And this has actually gotten worse because we've got this what's called syncretism. Syncretism is when you take one religion and you mush it together with another religion and it becomes this ball of bad theology, right? And so what, what's happened as, as these folks who practice uh, voodoo, they've been assimilated by Catholicism. And so now what we have is we have the folks who practice voodoo say, well, all right, um, I'm gonna rename my spirit to a saint and that will make it good. So now we've got voodoo shamans who have spirits who are named after Catholic saints. And you have one big giant mess because you have people who are worshiping something other than God. They're giving credit for God's miracles to someone else. What do we do? Give them the gospel. Yeah. We give them the gospel. How about, it's like a game. Does anybody here... You guys know what a deist is? You may not know specifically, but when I tell you, you'll know. And you know someone. A deist is someone who believes that God is like a great clockmaker. So God created all of this, yes, but then he turned and he walked away. And he's no longer got his hands in the mix. He's not performing miracles. God created this clock, he wound it up, and he let it go. We don't believe that for a second, do we? Almost every single hand in this room came up when I asked you if you had seen something that only God could be blamed for. That doesn't sound like a, like a clockmaker to me. Not at all. So what do we do? We give them the gospel. We give them the truth. There are those in, in the recovery world. I am a recovering alcoholic. I have been sober for many years. In the recovery world, it doesn't matter what it is, whether it be alcoholism or drug addiction or gambling, it doesn't matter what it is, we follow these steps. And as a part of the steps, the steps tell us that we are to submit to the God of our understanding. The God of my understanding is the God of Jesus Christ. The God of my understanding is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God of my understanding, when I was actively drinking, when I was an active alcoholic, the God of my understanding was a God that I created. Guess whose rules that God played by? Yours. He played by my rules. Yeah, he did. He played by my rules. And guess where my life went? Yeah, by his grace. By his grace. The God of our understanding. It's the God of Jesus Christ. If, if you are, if, if you... If you, have that, if you have that sin in your life, and we'll call it what it is, if you have gambling in your life, lack of faith in God, if you have alcoholism in your life, you're trying to fill your heart, your soul with something that is something other than God, if you are a drug addict, and you have one day, one day without whatever it is that you need so badly, that you think you need so badly, one day, that's a miracle. Amen. Take it from me. Take it from me. And who does that miracle belong to? 
That miracle belongs to God. Give him the credit. And if you're talking to someone, and please, Holy Spirit led, don't go running through Walmart with your Bible shouting out the gospel. That's not how it's supposed to happen. You want, you want to be spirit led. You want to understand the leading of the spirit when you're sharing the gospel. But when you see someone who believes that, that their God is, is a God of their understanding, what do we do? We give them the gospel. We give them the gospel of Jesus Christ. I gave you a number of examples. There are plenty more. There are plenty more where that came from. But what I would, I think, I think that this chapter, what it really says to us, what this section of this chapter really says to us is that, is that when we see someone, when we see someone who's giving credit for one of God's miracles to something or someone other than God, or if we see someone taking credit for one of God's miracles, you can't go up to him and you can't say, don't do that. That's not your miracle, because what are you going to get? You'll see what that scripture means about repaying anger with anger. They'll come right back at you with anger. Give them the gospel. That's what they need. All right, so driftwood aerobics. Driftwood aerobics. You got to stand, because we're, we're giving this to God. We're giving this to God if you can't stand. God owns the miracles. Give him the credit. Give them the gospel. Mac. Where's Mac? Where's my man Mac? Okay, everybody, you can sit down. Except Mac. Except Mac. Except Mac. <laughs> Mac, you want to do it? Do it, brother. God owns the miracles. Can't read it, can you? God owns the miracles. Give him the credit. And give them the gospel. Yeah. That's what we want to do. All right, let's pray. Father, you've given us one true gospel. We know the gospel of Jesus Christ. We know that you sent your only son to die for our sins. We know that if we believe in the name of Jesus Christ, that we can have a relationship with you, that Jesus is that mediator between you and us. Lord, my prayer is that if there is anyone in here today, anyone here who doesn't know the gospel, who hasn't heard the gospel before, that they would understand the gospel by the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord. Only you can do it. Only you can make that change in someone's heart so that they understand that salvation comes only through you, Lord. Only through you. As Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Lord, we are all sinners. We are all sinners, whether we believe in your name, Jesus, or not. The difference is that if we believe in the name of Jesus Christ, we hand you our sin, Lord. We hand it to you, and you hand us back righteousness 
so that we stand before the Father at judgment and all he sees is us. And we have an eternity not in hell. We have an eternity with you in heaven, Lord. Pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.